Hello and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. This is Steve Poos Benson. I'm the host of the podcast. This podcast used to be called the Stephen Poos Benson Podcast, but I decided that's pretty boring. I wanted something more uh, fun and engaging, so I wanted to go back to my blog name, Cowboy Jesus. I've used that uh, kind of that moniker, that handle now for uh, about 15 years, and so since it works so good for my blog, and since I try to connect my blog to my podcast, to everything I do at Columbine United Church, I just decided to call this the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. How about that? Now, it's not like cowboy as far as like uh, yippee tie cowboy, but more like the uh, a maverick cowboy, someone who is kind of cutting wires and breaking fences and going out doing new and different things. That's why I want to. Uh, that's my view of what is cowboy Jesus is that it's kind of a maverick Jesus, someone who's kind of out there doing new and different things. That's what I want to do. So that's kind of what I'm doing with uh, this podcast. The other interesting thing is that uh, why am I doing a podcast again? Because it's been, oh gosh, months and months since I've done a podcast. So part of that is because time was just getting in the way to try to record a podcast. It takes uh, several hours to get it up and running. But lately I've had so many things going through my mind that there's just no other way to get it all out of my head and get it into uh, into the theological zero space or blogosphere, podcast sphere, whatever, to get it out there to you other than Sunday morning on a video, and that's so limited. And so I thought, you know, I needed to stretch out a little bit and get some of these ideas out to you. That's why I decided to do a podcast again. So I'm going to try to go for somewhere between 15, 30 minutes thereabout. And uh, this is a good way for you to kind of explore new and different ideas. So I want you to uh, put in your earbuds, go for a walk, walk the dog, Uh, Get on the treadmill, wash the dishes, vacuum the house. Do something where you can sit back and we can be together for a little while. Now, What I want to cover tonight is uh, something that um, I've covered before. Did Jesus die for your sins? But it's been coming back up in conversations. It's come back up in uh, my small group that I lead here at Columbine United Church. following the book, We Make the Road by Walking with Brian McLaren. It's come up in my small group. It's coming up in a class that I'm going to be teaching on Tuesday morning uh, with Columbine United Church, the Faith Forum class. And it's come up in a couple different conversations that people I, that I've had with people where they ask the question, you know, I don't get it. Did Jesus die for my sins? Do I have to believe this to become a Christian? And I keep on telling them, well, it all depends. I mean, it all depends if you're a first century Christian or not. I mean, uh, you don't, I don't believe you have to accept that Jesus died for your sins to be a Christian. But more on that a little bit later. I want to kind of help you walk you through some concepts about why I don't believe Jesus died for our sins, or you, you have to be a first century Christian to understand that Jesus died for your sins. Okay. So let's wrestle with it. I'm going to take you back to uh, uh, a scripture passage from 1 John, the second chapter, verses 1 through 3. Now listen to this. This is from the elder. The the author of 1 John considers himself the elder. He writes as the elder. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, 
and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, let me read that again. My little children, <clears throat> excuse me, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole wide world. So there's the passage. I'm going to refer back to it. That uh, Jesus is the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So let's back up. What is the context of this passage? So First John, he's writing at the end of the first century. And he's writing to Jewish Christians who are falling away from the Christian faith and going back to their Jewish, uh, going back to the Jewish religion. And he's trying to tell them, no, don't do this. You need to stay with the, with the Christian faith. You need to stay with the early Christian uh, church that is developing and growing. So he's trying to make an argument for them to stay. And he's looking back at the life of Jesus, and he's trying to ask the question, what effect did Jesus' life and death and resurrection have on our, have on our lives and how does that make a difference in how we live today? So that's his context. That's his audience. Are Jews that are following, or Christian Jews that are following, falling away from the Christian faith, and they're becoming, uh, they want to go back to what it means to be Jews. Okay. So he says in this, he says, "My little children, I'm writing these things you so that you may not sin." In other words, he's worried about sin, and it's a different, a different concept than what we might have with sin. What he's talking about is a pollution system in the Hebrew society where you were they had all the laws that you were expected to keep. If you broke a law, you were polluted, you were unclean, and you had to go to the temple. You had to offer a sacrifice. And after you offered the sacrifice for breaking the law, then you were uh, clean again and you could enter into the presence of God. Your relationship with God was restored. So when he talks about sin, he's referring back to those Jewish laws that, that are being broken, that we have to uphold, and the, and the whole nature of clean and unclean that Jewish people were, uh, were caught in. And what he is saying is that Jesus breaks that pattern of being clean and unclean and having to go to the temple. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So in other words, Jesus is the righteous. He is the advocate between us and God. If we break a law, if we commit a sin, then we are broken from God. And so Jesus becomes this advocate, like, a, like an attorney that advocates on our behalf to God to try to, to build a relationship with God. And then... Uh, then uh, the elder says that Jesus Christ is the righteous and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now that's a key thing to understand. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It goes all the way back into the, the Hebrew notion of becoming clean. That you had to have a blood sacrifice to become clean. You had to sacrifice an animal. You had to sacrifice a dove. You had to sacrifice a lamb. You had to sacrifice a bull. Depending upon the sin that you committed, you had to sacrifice an animal, and the blood of that animal atoned for the sin that you committed. You sacrificed the animal. The animal, the blood of the animal atoned for your sins. You were forgiven. 
You had a relationship with God that was restored until you broke the next law, until you did the next thing that that put you in a state of uncleanliness. Then you had to go back to the temple and back to sacrifice again. And you were caught again in this system over and over again, clean, unclean, sacrifice, no sacrifice, sacrifice, no sacrifice, constantly in this pollution system. And what the author is trying to say here is that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, that that Jesus, his blood is what atones for our sin, just as the perfect sacrifice of the lamb atoned for our sins, that Jesus, his blood, is that what atones for our sins. What he's trying to say is that there is one perfect sacrifice, back to the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the one perfect sacrifice that has atoned for our sins, so we don't need to go back to the temple to keep on offering sacrifices. No, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice who has done that for us once and for all. So it's a compelling argument that that the uh, that the elder is making to his Jewish Christians who are falling back. He's saying, why would you fall back when there's already been an atoning sacrifice that takes care of your sins once and for all? You're forgiven. Why would you have to go back? And it, it's an argument that says, you know what? You're liberated. You are liberated from having to go to the temple from sacrificing over and over. There has been one sacrifice that has been needed. That blood of Christ has atoned for your sins. It is a message of liberation. I think you know, that's the key thing to understand is that it is a liberating message. If you're a first, te- first century Jewish Christian wondering, should you go back to the Jewish faith, the elder is saying, don't do it. You don't have to fall back into that legal system of being unclean, clean, unclean, clean. No, he's saying once and for all, it's been taken care of. The blood of Christ has atoned for your sins. It is liberating. For those first century Christians and Jews, it had to be a liberating message to see that you didn't have to keep on going back to the temple. And that's why If you ask the question, did Jesus die for our sins? If you're a first century Christian living in the sacrificial system of the Jewish world, yes, Jesus did die for your sins. It's a perfect setup. It's a perfect theological paradigm to live in because it is liberating. And that's the key. It's liberating. And so when we ask ourselves, did Jesus die for our sins? We have to ask ourselves, well, is it liberating for us? Because that's the message of what Jesus is all about, is liberation. Jesus is not about uh, conservation, keeping us down, keeping us bound together. No, Jesus was about opening us up. Jesus was about liberating. And if this liberated the first century Christian Jews, then it's a powerful message. It was a powerful message for them. But then we need to make the jump to ourselves and ask the question, but is it liberating for us? Is it liberating for us to have that Jesus know that Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins? Now, you know, There's a lot that is said in progressive theology that says, no, 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 we have to teach people that Jesus did not die for our sins. In fact, I was listening to a video today uh, where um, uh, a theologian was saying, no, we need to say a thousand times no, that Jesus did not die for our sins. And I think 
Well, I get, I get where they're coming from, but that all depends. Let's not be so closed-minded as progressive uh, Christians that we lose sight of the idea that maybe this notion of Jesus dying for our sins is a liberating concept for contemporary people. I mean, let's think about this. Maybe there are people in the world, and you might be one of them, who your life is just bared down with pain. Maybe you have done something in your life that has left your life a train wreck, and you have just trashed your life. You have made one bad mistake after another, and you are just down and beat down onto the curb because of the pain in your life. Well, maybe if it works for you to hear the elder say in John that your sins have been atoned for, that Jesus was the sacrifice for your sins, and that you are forgiven. If you need to hear that, and if that puts you into a right relationship with God, then I don't want to be so limiting on my progressive end that I'm going to stand in God's way of God being able to do that with you and through your life. I'm not going to preach that because I don't believe that, but if if you need to hear that message, well, then maybe I will preach that. If that's what it's going to take for you to stand up, to let go of the burdens, and to know that God has forgiven you, then I guess I will preach that for you if that's what it takes. But really, so if that's liberating for you, then, I, then, I will, then I'll say, okay, then go with that. Let that be liberating. But what what about those of us who this message of Jesus dying for our sins is not liberating? Like, you know, it's not something that I've ever really uh, identified with as a Christian. All the way back when I was in college and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and they talked about that Jesus was a sacrifice for my sins, and I I kind of did it to go along because I, I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but I didn't quite understand everything that I was doing. That whole notion of Jesus being a sacrifice, it's like, you know, I don't get this. It's not something I ever really identified with. I identified with more with the loving nature of God, the forgiving nature of God, and I didn't feel as though that Jesus needed to die on the cross to forgive my sins because really if God is a good God and as God is a loving God, then why would God need to send God's Son as a sacrifice to forgive my sins? I mean, can't just God wave the divine wand and my sins are forgiven? Why would there need to be a blood sacrifice? Now, it kind of goes back, if you will, to the intentions of God. This is the theological question we ask as far as, you know, what does it say about God and God's forgiveness if God intentionally needed to send Jesus to die for us? Was that God's purpose in sending Jesus into the world as a, as a, to, as a blood sacrifice to atone for our sins? Was that God's purpose? What does that say about God? That God would do some type of uh, violent act like the the sacrifice of the divine son to uh, atone for our sins. What does it say about God as far as being a divine form of uh, 
child abuse that that God would I mean it's a terrible paradigm of some type of good violence leaving leading to a positive end no I, I just I don't identify with it as well as many many progressive theologians uh, disagree with this notion that that God had to send Jesus that was God's purpose in sending Jesus no I think you know, what happened is God sent Jesus into the world to be a liberating presence, a liberating presence of justice and mercy and grace where Jesus upturned the theological tables of the temple and upturned the, uh, the justice, the unjust systems of the Roman Empire. No, he ushered in a whole new era of grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. And because of that, he was killed. He was executed. And then three days later, rose again on Easter Sunday as a way of saying that Jesus' life is victorious for us. For me, that's why God sent Jesus into the world to usher in a new day, not to be a sacrifice for our sins. That's why for me, I feel perfectly free to disagree with this notion and still call myself a Christian. For me, it's not the cornerstone of my faith to say that Jesus was a sacrifice for my sins. I know it's in the Bible. I'm pointing my finger to the scripture passage on the Bible. You can hear my finger hopefully thumping on the Bible. I'm looking at it. I know it's there. I know it's in so many different uh, uh passages of the New Testament through the letters of Romans through the uh, other letters that you know that they repeatedly teach that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins and I think we need to say it's because they were trying to figure out what the effect of Jesus life had for them that message was liberating for them it's not for me and I believe that I have all the permission in the world to say something different about what it means to be a liberated child of God. Because that's what Christ came to do, to liberate us. What does it mean to be a liberated child of God? What do you need to be liberated from? You know, a, a lot of, uh, lately I've been having conversations with um, some folks who have left the evangelical church and the um, could, because of the evangelical church is so uh, repressive and exclusive, uh, eliminating people who believe differently than they do, eliminating people from uh, different gender backgrounds, different uh, religious backgrounds. Uh, they're just so limiting and closed-minded. And these people have said, you know, I can't, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I can't do this. I can't stay here. So they leave. And they, and they wonder, can I still be a Christian? It's like, yes, heavens, yes. You know, the message of Jesus is liberation. Jesus showed a path out of the constrictive confines of the Jewish temple at the time and brought people into a new day. No, be liberated. If you need to leave your constructive, constrictive, not constructive, constrictive, confining, religious organization that you're a part of, then be liberated, follow the path of Jesus, and leave. Go forward. Go and do something new and different with your life. You know, what does it mean to be liberated? What for you is liberating? Is seeing God as father, mother, God and goddess, is that liberating? You know, for the first time when I gave myself the permission to think about 
God and goddess and goddess being more than just a male god. That was such a liberating thing to think about the feminine aspect of God, the goddess aspect of God. I just love that. I love to think about uh, that liberation. What about liberating liberation of seeing other religions and the desire to explore other religions? Is that liberating for you? Then Jesus would tell you, go explore, go see what other religions have to say and other religions have to teach. It's all a part of God's great kingdom. Everybody is exploring their faith and spirituality under the great prism of God's love. Yes, go explore other religions. You know, is seeing yourself being spiritually fluid and identifying with something other than Christianity? Do you need to see yourself as being spiritually fluid, as being, you know, maybe identifying with pagan? You know, that's what I really uh, identify myself. I call myself a Christio-pagan, that I'm really into the earth religions, the Celtic earth religions, as well as being identified with Christian. That's what it means to be spiritually fluid. I'm going to probably talk about that at some point with another podcast. But we if is that liberating for you then you need to go and 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 explore that be spiritually uh fluid is it liberating to see god as being radically inclusive you know that's a huge thing for me is i believe god is radically inclusive inclusive of all people of all races of all nationalities of all backgrounds of all religious affiliations that god is the god of the of the jew and the christian and the and the hindu and the buddhist and the muslim all the different world religions. God is the God of the Wiccan. God is the God of the Pagan. God is the God of the Druid. God is the God of other uh, African American, uh, Native American spiritualities, all different kind of indigenous spiritualities. This is God. That is liberating to see that God is so radically inclusive of all people. What is liberating for you? And then here's another question. What are you doing to liberate others? You know, if Jesus came to liberate you, and he had, there was a, a liberating message to those first century Christians, and then he gives, God gives us a liberating message, then are we living liberating lives where we're helping other people step out under the thumb of oppression? What are you doing to bring about a sense of justice? What are you doing to lift people from oppressive systems and institutions? What are you doing to break poverty and bring about racial equality and economic equality? What are you doing to take care of the least of Jesus' brothers and sisters? In other words, if we're being liberated, how can we extend this liberation to all people around the world, especially to people outside of these United States that we live in, but to people in developing nations around the world. How can we extend the message of liberation to all people? And then here's another thing. If we want to talk about liberation, even if you want to go back to Jesus as being the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and even if you want to tell me, no, Steve, you're wrong. Jesus, we have to accept that Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins. Okay, we'll disagree, but let's say we have to go back there. All right, then I'm going to take you to uh, verse 2 of 2 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He says, 
Uh, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Get this, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Did you capture that? The whole world. Not just us Christians. Not just those who believe in Jesus. But maybe if we say the whole world, we're going to take the elder John at his word and say that maybe the message of Christ salvation effect is for everybody and that the whole world has been saved through Christ. Whether they know it or not, whether they recognize it or not, that Christ is bigger than anything that we can conceive and that it includes people who are Buddhists and Hindus and Taoists. And as I said, the list goes on and on. That the effect of Christ is to save the entire world. Gone is the notion of hell. Gone is the notion of rejection. Gone is this notion that you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't need to do that because it's an already done deal. Through Christ, the whole world has been saved. So I can argue that even if you want to say, no, Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins, I'll say, okay, that's fine. But go the next step and say, then it's for the whole wide world. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Nobody is outside. So if it's for everybody, then make it for everybody. Don't exclude people based upon gender. Don't exclude GLBTQ uh, folks. Don't. Don't exclude non-Christians. Don't exclude atheists and agnostics. Don't. Just don't exclude them because it's for everybody. You need to go out of your way to make sure that everybody is embraced and everybody is a part of the kingdom of God because that's what it means to be liberated. God intends for us to be liberated. That's why this is Cowboy Jesus. Because this is the maverick gospel riding the rodeo of religion and life. And thanks for giving me about 30 minutes of your time. I hope you now can uh, turn this over. You can go to my blog, Cowboy Jesus. I'll be uh, posting some things, ideas there. You can catch us on Sunday morning at Columbine United Church. Watch our worship videos posted on our Facebook page. Uh, so let's stay in contact. So you can also catch me at Steve Poos Benson on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, look at my page, Dr. Steve Poos Benson on Facebook. All right. From uh, Cowboy Jesus, have a great day. We'll see you. Bye.
that somehow God is going to use this down the road. In fact, I was reading in, I think it was the book of Romans, maybe it was 1 Corinthians, but something from Paul, where Paul said that when we go through tough times, that we must endure because God is going to be with us in our tough times. And then when we are going through our tough times, God is going to bring somebody else who's going through their tough times, and we're going to come alongside them to be with them just as God is with us. And so I thought to myself when I was, I knew I was kind of getting ready for this podcast, and I thought about the night in jail, and I thought, well, okay, I was going through this tough time with having my identity stolen, and I had to realize that God was with me, that God was calling me to forgive, and I had to think, okay, then maybe, just maybe, God was going to bring about somebody else who's going through a tough time, and I was to come along beside them to be with them. And so if that's the case, then maybe this crazy accident that happened, which I don't think God said, Steve, you're going to crash and fall from a hay bale and break your wrist and crash your face up. I don't think God set that up. I think it was an accident that happened, but I think that God is able to use that. And God will use that in such a way that it will further God's will in the world to bring about the kingdom of God. And what I have to do is I have to be willing to allow God to work with me in such a way. And the and then that's my lesson to you is that I think the same way happens to you. I mean, I want you to think about the crazy things that have happened to you in your life. What are all the tragic, bad things that have happened to your life? What are even the good things that have happened to your life? And how has God used those events to come along beside you, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of other people? How have your events shaped and formed you that have lasted in your life for years and years? Like for me, over 15 years now. My Kyle is 30. This was 15. So over 15 years later, this still echoes in my life. What are those life events that still echo for you in the middle of your life? That's how God works. And then you look at what what's going on with your life right now. What are the tragedies right now in the middle of your life? You know, you might not have a broken wrist, but you might be looking at financial ruin because of the COVID crisis. You might be going through a depression or a despair. You might have a, a loved one that's sick, or you might have your face in some kind of cancer, something, something going on in your life. Well, I want you to believe, because I, I just know this in my bones to be true, that God will use that event to further God's kingdom and the work in the world. But you have to be ready and willing to be God's instrument. You have to be willing, ready and willing to be God's instrument. Because there's going to be somebody down the road. There's going to be somebody down the road who's going to need you in some way, shape, or form. And they might just come blasting into your life when you least expect it, uh, like red and blue lights in your rearview mirror, like ending up in a night in jail, and maybe not near as crazy as that, just somebody who comes into your life that needs help, and God's going to have the divine hand on your head, and you have to decide how you're going to respond. And I would encourage you to respond as God's instrument, taking a gulp, saying a prayer, and believing that God can indeed use you. All right. 
that's my story of my night in jail. You know, thanks for listening to the Steve Poos Benson podcast. I hope the story has somehow touched and inspired your life. You know, I'm so honored that you have given us this time together. Um, as always, I wanted to connect. You can read my blog, Cowboy Jesus. You can watch my videos, uh, the Wednesday shout-out, as well as the um, Centosaur videos. You can... Uh, I talk about Cowboy Jesus, oh, Instagram and Twitter. I try to be involved in as many different platforms as I can because I like connecting with people in so many different ways. Uh, I want you to like my page um, on Facebook, Dr. Steve Poos Benson. Go visit my website, www.stevepoosbenson.com. So stay connected. And let me send you out with a blessing. May the God of grace and glory fill you with peace and hope. Amen. Take care. Thanks for listening.